Good evening and welcome to this, the South African Equestrian Federation's podcast from the horse's mouth. Tonight we're discussing the reassurance of insurance. Many a horse owner has been faced with a grave decision as to whether they can afford the veterinary care required to save their horse's life, especially regarding surgery. It's never something that we want to think about, but when we're faced with a decision based on how much we are able to spend on our horse's medical care, having insurance can afford us total peace of mind and remove at least some of the stress and the pressure that is innate to horse ownership, where you know that the team that is supporting you can proceed with the treatment necessary to save your horse's life or to return them to peak performance. So tonight, we speak to Chief Revenue Officer of CUDA Insurance, Dawn Newman, about popularizing the reassurance of insurance for our equine athletes in South Africa, what the various benefits and options are, what you as owners need to consider, and insurance as a possible career option within the equestrian industry. Dawn, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Hi, Georgie. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's really nice to be here. Just um, have to say that I'm very surprised that it's you that's chatting to me and not Hedgie. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, listen, anything could change at any moment. Okay. Enjoy me while you've got me. She will derail the conversation completely. And she surely knows far more about the world and insurance. And uh, she like. knows far more about everything than any exactly. of us. We're all, we're all idiots. Um, I remember my parents used to say to me, oh, they wish they could return to being teenagers. Where, we, where they knew everything. Exactly. Uh, and I, I didn't understand that fully yeah. until now. So um, Dawn, while I was researching, um, discussing insurance, um, I had a quote that came up which I really loved and I have to share with you. It says, whatever the reasons that you have for not insuring your horse, I guarantee you they all sound ridiculous to your horse. Yeah, and, exactly. Um, and I really yeah. like that. No, exactly. And never was a true word spoken. You know, they... Um, chatting offline just talking about our horses and you know they're not there's a saying it's not just a dog well it's also just not just a horse you know they're our pets they're part of our lives they're part of our sports team um and i think invariably we end up giving them better attention medical care etc than we give ourselves um and i think insurance is just one of the very important ways of making sure that we're able to do that <clears throat> Excuse me. Dawn, so can we can we kick off by just discussing a little bit of your background in the insurance industry? My background in the insurance industry is a little bit frightening. Um, I've been riding my entire life. Um, I joined, well, joined CUDA from the outset, I think in 2010. Um, so that's when the sport horse business was incepted. Um, and that's when I became part of the sort of the insurance industry altogether. Prior to that, I had owned, ridden, competed, and never, ever insured a horse myself. Um, I think for the last year, just before CUDA started, I did have some form of insurance for my horses. I haven't even an idea what it was, who it was with, and what it was what was really going to cover. Um, I just knew that I'd heard somebody say insurance is a good idea, and obviously the precious animals needed to have it. So, yeah, that's that's kind of my background. Um, I have a financial background uh, in terms of what I've studied and things. Um, and then it's obviously, obviously not a very good financial background. If you're still <laughs> exactly. horses, so. You know what they say, how to make a large fortune out of horses or how to make a small fortune out of horses. Start with a large fortune. So th that, yeah, yeah exactly. So the financial, any kind of financial background went out of the window as soon as the first horse was purchased. <laughs> and henceforth, I just worked to su support my habit, really. That's, that's yeah. no, that, sounds, that sounds about Right. Um, I just want to remind everyone who is listening that if you have any uh, questions for Dawn, please leave them in the comments section. Um, if you're struggling to leave a comment, please subscribe to the podcast and then the chat should open up to you. Um, Dawn, why in theory is insurance just such a good idea for, for horse owners? I mean, but really for everyone. Yeah, I think you touched on it briefly in your opening um little chat in that, you know, the last thing on earth you want to do is have a decision around whether your horse is going to get the correct medical treatment being a financial decision. You know, it's, I mean, a scenario where mom and dad don't really know about horses. They don't really ride, you know, they paid 20,000 Rand for a thoroughbred perhaps off the track or a, an older pony. Um, pony gets colic, goes to the hospital and the vet says, you know, he needs surgery you're looking at anything between 60 and 100,000 Rand. And no insurance, you then have to turn around to your child and say, look, sorry, 
you know, unfortunately, we can't help your pony or your horse um, because we just simply don't have the financial means. I remember years ago, I had a horse that needed to have, um, he, he chipped the cap off his elbow when I was a junior rider. Again, we didn't have insurance. We didn't really have the means to sort of cover him. Um, and we sold the horse box to cover his surgery. He then ended up not actually pulling through the surgery. So we'd kind of lost everything at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, that's that's the bottom line. A really good reason is to just give your horse the best possible care. At the end of the day, <clears throat> sorry, they do their very best for us most of the time. Most. Um, I think they always try to do what they think is is. No, no, you know that 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 can that can be debated in another session. Um, and I think it's our responsibility to make sure that we no. give them the absolute best treatment that we can. It yeah. also gives the vets the opportunity to, you know, not skimp on treatment, that if a horse really, really does need something, when they have the security of knowing that the horse is insured, they can then sort of do the full extent of treatment that is actually needed. So, yeah, Absolutely. that's, that's my, the long and short. Um, from what I've gathered, speaking to the vets as well in preparation for this, Dawn, like by and large, they were all saying they the, to exactly what you're saying. They equally vets hate having to deal with sick horses and stressed owners. Yeah. So, so they were saying like it's such a pleasure when they know that the horse is covered, you know, and they don't need to make terrible decisions as well because the owners will often say to them, "What do you like? What's the best case yeah. scenario, and then what's the most affordable best case scenario?" Well, exactly, and it's a you know it's a, it's it's a difficult toss up because obviously. You know, if a horse has full comprehensive insurance in terms of medical, there's always the risk of that being abused. Um, you know, the horse is lame on the near four. It looks like the fetlock. Let's x-ray all four legs just to make sure there's nothing else going on there. So there is that risk that we run, you know. When, As a business, absolutely. Absolutely. When, you know, when it's known that the horse has full and, and obviously comprehensive cover. But I think that, you know, ethically our vets, absolutely do what they're supposed to do and do the best for that that they can for a horse at any given time so yeah that's that's in my view the main reason behind insuring i think yeah and, and I, I think you know for for something like critical care which i think we might touch on just now i'd like to um the cost is so minimal it's literally less than the cost of entering one class at a show um and for that you get around and about a hundred thousand worth of cover per event so it just doesn't make sense at all not to have that cover at the very, very least. Mm. Um, Dawn, who can be insured when it comes to horses? Can, can anyone, like, is it only registered people? Is it only people? No, absolutely not. And, you know, I think that, so we have two specific horse divisions, bloodstock and sport horse. Bloodstock refers to race horses. And sport horse refers to everything else. So literally, we have donkeys and mules insured, which, you know, are certainly by no means highly competitive um, equines. Um, and I think that the word sport horse tends to put people off and tends to make people uncertain as to whether all horses are insurable, which they are. Um, so if you have a happy hack that you literally, you know, take on a Sunday ride once a week, or you have a paddock ornament that you really just like looking at and feeding carrots to, 100% we can insure them all. Up to the most expensive show jumpers, you know, in, ex in millions of rands worth of value. So literally everything. In terms of age, we can insure them from the time that they're fetuses. Um, if the fetus is not insured, really? we can insure them as they land on the ground, so from birth. Um, yeah, and, and so pretty much everything, unless it's, really really you know in poor health or poor condition yeah it's fairly pretty much insurable so that actually ties in with a question that i i do have waiting for you which is from somebody who is a breeder michaela and she said should we insure foals if so um from what age and what policy and this might be a good place to interject i had no idea you could insure a fetus yeah 100 percent and I think, so fetus insurance is very um, popular on the bloodstock side of the business, yeah, where sure. a covering from a top stallion can literally cost you a living fortune. I guess the same in the sport horse business, um, except that maybe breeding is not happening on such a large scale in South Africa. Um, so if where fetus insurance, in my opinion, would be really valuable is where you're paying 
a lot of money for the covering of the mare or for the insemination. Um, how fetus, covers work, fetus cover works is that the value that you're allowed to insure for is the cost of the, 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 the insemination, so how much it would cost for the stallion to cover that mare, um, and then plus a, a certain percentage in terms of costs that are incurred around the covering and the breeding and all of that. Um, and that's the value that you can insure the fetus for until such time it, that it sets foot on the ground. Um, fetus cover actually offers them cover up until 30 days old. So, yeah, it, it's a really, really valuable and good option for breeders that are using expensive imported bloodlines um, to breed their mares to. And at that stage, once your fetus is on the, on the ground and live, can you insure your foal? And what would you recommend insuring foals for? A hundred percent. So so if you've had the fetus cover, your foal is covered until it's 30 days old, uh, whereafter you would just take normal insurance, the same as you would for a horse. Um, if you haven't had fetus cover, we cover from the time that they're born. Um, obviously, vet checks take place, but I mean, that takes place, you know, when the foal is born anyway. So in all likelihood, at any breeding operation, when a mare gives birth to a foal, the mare and foal are checked within the first 24 hours anyway. Um, in, in terms of the cover, you know, again, if it's a highly valuable foal, um, because, it's, because it's a really top quality foal that's landed, or because of the cost that you've spent or the amount of money that you've spent on the covering, then, you know, certainly mortality is something to look at. So in other words, life cover. Um, and then, you know, just depending on your appetite for risk as to what you would cover in terms of medical. So medical from the very basic, which is life surgery with critical care, and um, right up until medical products. Those are the things that are open to you for time insurance. Maybe a good time to segue into the different kinds of cover you get. You mentioned mortality and critical care. But could yes. you take through the range of sure. these things and terminology? Because I think, again, that tends to panic people. So no, it does. When, when I was an uninsurance person, I didn't know what I was covered for. I just knew I had some form of insurance. Um, and and say, speaking of uninsurance, you know, we do try really hard to make our terminology sort of more user friendly so that it's it's not complete double dutch to to the man in the street who hasn't had to deal with these these heavy words before um so you know starting off we have life cover um which is you can be equated to life cover for a person it basically is the cover of the value of the animal that you would have if the horse were to die or or have to be put to sleep for humane reasons that is the amount of money that you'd be paid out um how you determine that value is uh, there are a number of ways the easiest way is if you've just purchased the horse so if you've purchased a horse for two hundred and fifty thousand rand the life value of that horse at that stage would deem to be 250,000 Rand. If you think you got it at a real va a real bargain and you decided you wanted to insure it for 400,000 Rand, we would then possibly ask for something like a justification of value where you would say, you know, it, it is jumping a meter 40. Um, the owners were in financial trouble. They needed to sell the horse urgently. That's why I only paid 250,000. And we would then most certainly look at, at allowing, uh, you know, a, an increase in the value of the horse. Um, and then how it works in terms of, of a payout, when we have agreed a value of the horse in terms of its life cover, that is the amount that will be paid out. So there won't be any adjustment to that amount in terms of value at the time of should there be a claim. Um, those values can increase as the training of a horse uh, improves and the value of the horse increases. Um, and then unlike... I think you're assuming there that the training is adding value. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> um, and unlike household insurance, so household insurance, you're not allowed to be underinsured. So if you have household contents that are genuinely worth 3 million rand, you decide you can really only afford to pay for a million rand, you have a claim, um, you're then only essentially, I think, paid out a third. So you're paid out the proportion to which you're underinsured of your claim. It doesn't work like that in horse insurance. So if you have a horse, I mean, I think Pinky is worth 75 million trillion rand. Um, I can't really afford to insure that value. So I insure him for an amount that I think I could buy a reasonable horse, heaven forbid, with something to happen. So you're not obliged to insure your horse for its actual value you are allowed to underinsure your horse. You're not allowed to overinsure it, but you're certainly allowed to underinsure it. 
Okay. Um, so that was a very lengthy story just about life cover. Um, the next cover that we'll chat about is loss of use insurance. So this is a cover that I think it's a it's it's you love it or you hate it. Um, it's cover that's not cheap. It's cover that there's not really often claimable. But when there is a lot a genuine loss of use case, it's heartbreaking if you don't have loss of use insurance. What loss of use means is basically the horse is insured as a show jumper um, and cover per event. So in other words, if your horse has colic surgery this month, that colic surgery costs 85,000 Rand. In two months time, the horse needs colic surgery again. You've got another 100,000 Rand available to you. And that's for that and when low you, load. When you mention per events, and this is something we'll cover later as well, I assume that this is, this is pertinent to your product. But clients, they must check that this is the case with whoever they go with. 100%, yeah. So I'm not really, I don't really have full knowledge of the, you know, competing products in the market. Uh, the knowledge that I have is specific to our products. Um, critical care, and it, it's, it, you know, it's a product, I think, that frustrates us and frustrates clients a lot of the time. Because often I think people tend to think that any time the horse goes to hospital, it's critical care. So they tend to equate critical care cover to what we would consider a hospital plan cover for humans. But it's not that. Critical care cover means if your horse does not go to hospital immediately, it's probably going to die right now. So it doesn't mean that, you know, something has happened. If I don't treat it in a week's time, it's possibly going to be really, really serious. And then the horse is probably going to die. That is not considered critical care. That's considered neglect because you should have been taking care of the horse. Um, so critical care is really, really that. So there are two things. The treatment has to take place in hospital and the horse has to be in a critical situation right there and then. The day that you schedule a surgery, the day that you phone in advance and say, you know, I want a splint surgery on my horse. We're booking him in for three days time. That's absolutely not critical care. Those things are covered under other medical options, but not under critical care. And it's, it, you know, it's a, it's a sad thing for me often because often people are under the misconception that all hospital treatment is covered, you know, realistically for 300 Rand a month, oh, 100,000 Rand cover, well, you know, there would be no insurance company left if, if we were covering, covering everything that happened in well, hospital. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's the reality around critical care. And then, you know, what we do is we rely on the vets. So we're not vets. We know horses. Um, everyone that works at the company does know about horses. Um, that's one of the, the very specific criteria around being part of the team. Um, but we're not vets. And when it is a gray area where we're not sure was it really a life-saving or life-threatening situation, we refer it to the vets, as well as having the vets that perform the surgery or the treatment having to fill in a report and say, you know, in their opinion, it was life-saving right at that time. Mm -hmm. So so that's where we sit with life-saving surgery. Medical comprehensive, which is similar to a medical aid, but I'm loath to say medical aid because there is a big difference between medical aid and insurance. Mm -hmm. Insurance, the, you know, the, the reasoning behind insurance is to put you back into the position that you were before the loss. Okay. Medical aid is I've got cover, you know, for glasses. Um, so I can look and say, right, I've got 5,000 Rand if I need to go and buy a pair of glasses. And therefore, I know that if I go and get glasses, I will get paid out 5,000 Rand. I think often people um, get frustrated with us because they phone for authorization, um, which theoretically we can't give. So, you know, we can say that, yes, if your horse has colic surgery, more than likely it will be covered under life-saving surgery with critical care. But until we see a report after the fact and we see the extent of the loss, um, which is what, you know, it's referred to in insurance terms, we don't really know whether upfront it will be covered. So we can't give those guarantees really upfront. We can tell you what cover you have, but we can't really, really give guarantees. Um, in terms of the medical saver comprehensive, you know, that covers, it, there's a small limit for lameness. Um, obviously, you know, in terms of we'd love to give huge limits for lameness. Again, the same as if we covered everything under critical care, we probably wouldn't see out another six months. Um, so that's just the reality. Um, and then, you know, other things sort of out of hospital emergencies are covered, treatment of things like colic at home, um, 
and a variety of other subdivisions um, under, the th under each category. Um, and then over and above that, in each of those medical options, we do cover critical care as well um, at, it, under the same criteria. So it's critical care for 100,000 Rand per event um, and not per, and that doesn't come off your annual medical save or medical comprehensive limit. So that sounds like a whole lot of confusing stuff, I'm sure. Um, yeah. I don't know if you want me to try and break if, that down. If you, if you want to go into it briefly, I also have a lot of questions coming up okay. now. More sickness for you. Okay. Oh, good gracious me. <laughs> what is the cure? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, yeah. Then just a couple of the other the products that we offer. We've spoken about fetus insurance, public liability insurance. Um, you know, you decide to go for a joyride down the N1 um, on halter. You fall off, the horse runs into the road and runs into a car. And you're then, first of all, negligent in your behavior. And second of all, that person then decides to sue you or could sue you for damages. Um, public liability would take care of that. And it is specifically relevant to members of the public. So if you came and had a ride with, uh, you know, and, and my horse kicked you, you're not, you're not deemed to be a member of the public. However, if you were strolling past with your bicycle at a show and you were kicked by the same horse, uh, that would be deemed to be public liability. Personal accident cover. Um, personal accident cover basically covers you. It's a one-on-one -on -one relationship with you and the horse that is insured, and it covers up to 100,000 Rand, I think, per year. Um, and that is for any injury sustained by the or any injury sustained by you and caused by the insured horse um, oh, okay. and we do extend that to actually coaches and riders um, where that then covers more than just the horse that's insured it then covers all the horses that they're riding um, but that's a sort of specific short-term type product as opposed to a horsey type product um, and then just lastly tack and horse box insurance we obviously offer those as add-ons to both our horse products as well as our short-term products so I think that's it in a nutshell. That's great. Um, somebody's asked a question saying, is it true that insurance companies are no longer paying out for African horse sickness debts? Um, I can't speak on behalf of the other insurance companies, but we certainly are. Um, the criteria remains the same. Um, the horse has to have been vaccinated within the last 12 months. Um, and the vaccination needs to have been done by a vet. And, you know, obviously all care needs to be taken to protect the horse from horse sickness. But no, we certainly haven't put a stop to paying our claims. And um, Dawn, obviously, I mean, this is just a, a can of worms for everyone involved. But with the shortage of the African horse sickness vaccine? Yeah, it's terrible. It's a terrible situation. And it's something that we've obviously debated to death. Um, but, you know, so writing an insurance product is not just a simple thing. It's not right. just a case of like, oh, cool, we feel like these products, let's randomly decide that we're going to charge this rate. Um, very clever actuaries behind the scenes, Vian Smith in our case, um, who actually out of his head can calculate like five digit numbers multiplied by other 13 digit numbers and will give you the answer like just like that. It's well, I don't. I mean, he could be giving the wrong answer. We wouldn't know. No, well, no I check with a calculator because I'm that OCD <laughs> person. Um, so, you know, a lot of, uh, obviously a lot of work and, and research goes into writing insurance products and, and specifically something like horse sickness. When we look at an overall product, we look at, you know, the chances of something happening. So if, for example, your insurance premium rate on life is 5%, that's the rate you pay. So, you know, 5,000 Rand, mm -hmm. if your horse is valued at 100,000 Rand, I think that maths is correct. Ben's probably on here checking on me. Um, that 5% is the chances of your horse dying. So the rating is based on the chances of the, the probability of something happening. And all that probability takes various things into account. <clears throat> what is the likelihood of African horse sickness happening? What is the likelihood of a horse dying of colic? And all of those things. And based on that, we arrive at rates, we arrive at a product, we arrive at medical products, et cetera, et cetera. And, and those products are then underwritten on that basis. So we can't, we simply cannot, as much as we would love to, because of the shortage of the horse, African horse sickness vaccine, we can't change our rules to be in line with what the SAEF rules are now or, you know, or, or, or what horse sickness vaccines are available. We, we simply can't because that would be 
a recalculation of the whole product and you then may end up with something like mortality for a horse costing you 20%, whereas at the moment it's costing you 4.5%. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the, the long and short answer is our rules like remain. Vaccines. <laughs> exactly. Oh, no. The rules remain as they are from an insurance point of view for now, um, and we hope it doesn't turn into a major pandemic, in which case I think that things will be reviewed, but for now the status quo remains. Um, Ruth wants to know if insurance would pay for bloods to be done after a suspected AHS death. No. So we do have a product called Condolence Contribution, which I didn't mention earlier, um, which covers costs related to the death of a horse. And I think the, the cover is up to 20,000 Rand. Um, that would include things like paying towards a post-mortem, paying towards oh, possibly right. uh, post-death bloods, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't pay for any costs related to sort of the death of the horse. Okay. Um, and then one more just while we're on the topic of, of African horse sickness. I don't know if it falls under critical care, Dawn, like treatments of African horse no. sickness. So the question is just that African horse sickness horses, the vets will often say that they shouldn't be moved. Yeah. But they need to be hospitalized in yeah. order. Okay. Yeah. So 100%. You know, with every rule, there's always the exception to the rule um, and we like to apply our minds to all of these things so if for example you've got a horse that is critically ill with african horse sickness it can't go to hospital because it's going to possibly infect every other horse around it or your yard is in quarantine or whatever the treatment of that horse at home would in all likelihood be considered oh, okay. critical care by us yeah oh okay that's lovely to know thanks um i hope i'm sure i'm sure these questions are just going to keep coming thick and fast um so uh, we spoke about it briefly earlier on. What is the culture of insurance in South Africa currently? Um, you know, are you seeing that a lot more people are insuring their horses? Do you think it's more bloodstock people than sport horse people? Georgina, it's, it's so difficult to say because, you know, we can obviously look at numbers, SAEF, mem SAEF membership and the number of horses that are, you know, currently registered and look at our stats. We don't know what the other insurers cover, so we don't have oh, an yeah, overall yeah. number of, of horses insured. Um, but I'd like to think, you, you know, from, from a CUDA point of view, my opinion was always that we were going to hit a ceiling, that, you know, the growth was going to be rapid. And then at a point, we were going to hit a ceiling where we were having a trickle flow of horses being added to insurance. That hasn't happened. I mean, if anything you know, more and more and more horses are being added on a weekly, monthly, annual basis compared to what were ever added in the past. So, you know, is that more people that are insuring with us? Is that more people that are insuring in total? I'd like to think it's the latter. Um, and I think judging by sort of some of the types of horses that we have and the detail that we need to go in into when explaining the products to people, I'd like to think that it's people that are adding insurance um, yeah, that weren't previously insured. Yeah, I think that's, I, I mean, we're all hopeful, I think, that people are just going to make yeah. better, better decisions. From a tech point of view, we are pretty far down the road of a really smart new system, and that is going to be doing all kinds of interesting um, stats like measuring, you know, is this a completely new client, a new client to the equestrian industry, a new horse, a new horse to us, a new horse to the equestrian So. Talk to me again in a year, and I'm going to give you a lot more interesting stats. It's so interesting seeing that uh, data scientists, it's just becoming one of the one of the biggest careers because it spans all industries. No, so, exactly. um, yeah, it's really interesting what's what's coming up. Exactly. Um, I'm just checking. Uh, Julie asks if there is yet anything such as grooms cover. But, um, Julie, I assume that would have to fall under workman's compensation. No, so... I'm happy to chat about that. We actually, so we were under a lot of pressure for this many years ago, probably six, seven, eight years ago. Everybody wanted grooms cover and we hunted high and low until we found a product that was reasonably priced and that really was something that, you know, spoke well to the grooms. I think we quoted on it for three months or no, longer than three months. And I don't think we had a single uptake. So, yeah, in terms of groom's cover, I think, you know, if people were looking at medical cover, that is certainly what that's that's what we offered. And 
you know, it, it was just not an, not an option that we, people were interested in at all. What it was is that we were offering a product that you could add onto your horse's insurance. So it would be, you know, Georgie, if you had a horse and you had a groom that you wanted to cover for medical or, you know, or whatever, we would then say, okay, groom's cover for groom X is added to your insurance premium. And whether that was just, you know, people disliked that way and thought perhaps the groom should pay for that cover themselves, I'm not sure, but it honestly just didn't fly at all. So, yeah. I think it must be quite hard though, because at the end of the day, it is, you know, like that does then, it's 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 an overlapping area. Exactly. But I would imagine that it's it's still technically, Workmen's you know, company. yeah, and, and I imagine um, hopefully workman's compensation would come into play there. Absolutely. Um, Good types of care. Um, what do owners need to check on their insurance policies before committing? And I did laugh because I said to Dawn um, earlier on, I said there's there's so many people who have had contact me to say they don't they they didn't even know horse insurance existed, and they you know they don't know if their horse is allowed to be insured. It's just yeah. a blast fact. Or but and then Dawn said to me she didn't even know what she was insured for before she <laughs> she made it her job yeah so exactly what, what should educated owners be checking before when comparing policies or committing so i'd like to turn that question around and say what should insurance companies do to create educated owners because it's a really really you know you know obviously you market and you you do things from a, a sales point of view but, you know, how do we make sure that people really, really, that like everybody knows about insurance and everybody knows that that insurance is available for horses and it's available for your horse. It's not just available for a fancy dressage horse or a fancy show jumper. So, yeah, that's it is a difficult. And if anybody has that nugget of information for me, then, you know, we we are open to hearing all suggestions. And um, what should owners look for? I think that you know, it's really important to have a broker that knows their stuff. So not just somebody that's wanting to take your bucks and like, thanks very much, sign on the dotted line and off you go. Um, somebody that that understands, but I think that you understands, answers your questions and explains the thing to you really well. Um, the thing being the policy document that you're taking and the products that are available. Um, but I think it's also, you know, there is a responsibility from the owner's point of view to make sure that they do read the fine print. Um, and fine print isn't there to catch them out, it's there to protect them. And they have every right to question every single thing in their policy document. It's better to do that before you have a claim than when you have a claim, you know, you've got critical care, you're trying to claim for uh, the horse that was, he had his knee stitched up at home because if you left him, he was gonna bleed to death or, or whatever. Um, and you know, the question is always, if you went into Woolies and you paid for a loaf of bread, would you expect to come out with a fillet stack as well? And the answer is probably not. So the same applies to insurance. You know, make sure that what you think you have is what you have. And what you want is probably available, even though it's not what you might have at that particular moment in time. So yeah, just it, 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 make sure that you have a broker that you trust. Ask as many questions as you want. Send as many emails as you want. Um, and read the policy wording. And I think, think of a worst case scenario. You know, I was, exactly. I remember moving over to, off of my parents' uh, medical insurance, and thank God, onto my own. And um, a like at least a hospital plan, but medical insurance is something I think all equestrians, I do not understand how it's not compulsory no. at show venues or stuff. I just, it gives me no. the absolute, it gives me nightmares. And I landed up being quite thoroughly hospitalized for about six weeks after a freak fall. And I, I was very lucky actually that I was hospitalized because I had friends who had had a similar injury and, you know, then been checked out of hospital to heal at home or do their own rehab or whatever the case is. But it was a real, for me then at the tender age of 20, whatever, to realize that you actually, you have to go on what the worst case scenario could yeah. be Absolutely. and really explore and, you know, those options. You know, bring examples and ask, ask. So if this X and Y happens to my horse, would I be covered under this policy? And if not, is there a policy that you have that could cover it? Maybe there isn't. Maybe, yes, some, yeah. you know, but but ask all the questions. And yeah. that is your right. And it's actually your responsibility more than it's your right to ask yeah. those questions. Um, on on the, 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 the difference between all of these things, 
Um, Michaela has a question saying, will it be possible for additional post-op therapeutic care to be covered, such as shockwave for, um, and I suppose it depends on, A, yeah. on the plan, Dawn, but are therapeutic no. things like that no. covered? Not even really. Um, so, you know, preventative and therapeutic cover is, again, if we go back to our description of insurance, it's to place you back into a position that you were before, you know, the lot happened. Um, so anything preventative, anything therapeutic, I think we give a small amount for physio and chiro and things like that. Oh, that's um, but small, like really, really small. Um, so no, I, the short answer is no, it would unlikely to be covered um, by any of the options that we offer. Um, while, we're, while we're discussing that, Dawn, how are insurance rates calculated? Um, you know, why can't an insurance company just add more benefits? Yeah, so exactly that. Um, I, I think I mean, touched on it briefly earlier that, you know, we go through, look at loads and loads of stats, medical stats, veterinary stats. When we introduced... Um, uh, the medical saver and medical comprehensive such cover wasn't available in this country at all um, because it was believed that you know the minute you had such cover that would be the end of the insurance company so we ran with it for a while mm -hmm. and obviously went into it with our eyes fairly wide open having done consultations with many vets looking at the various things that we wanted to offer cover for and back in the day when we were doing product development you know as much as I wasn't an insurance fundee then I knew about horses and I knew what I would like to have for my horses. So we went, you know, we, that was a starting point. I said, well, you know, it would be nice if we could have some lameness and it would be nice if we could, you know, offer cover for X and Y. And then we just sort of pieced the thing together on that basis. Um, then a little bit more scientifically added, you know, a real expert veterinarian, obviously the input of the actuary and worked out rates based on that and then let it run for a while had to adjust our rates, had to adjust our benefits. And we continue to do that, you know, as, as the years go by and we see what it claims experiences are. Um, yeah, that's that's basically what we do. And then in terms of, as I say, the mortality rate, um, the rate that you're paying is the chance of, of the mortality happening. I, I can't believe that you can work out the chance of a horse dying because for me, it's like, no, not me. I love horses, but oh my God, I just like... I just exactly. know see ways for them. Like if there's an L sticking out, so I'm no, like, oh, exactly. I mean, know? the chances are 99% in my <laughs> humble opinion. So it's just the way it is. Um, Dawn, this is an interesting question. Do the vets answer for their justifications to veterinary counsel? Uh, their justifications in terms of? In terms of um, what's classified as critical care and such. So yeah. if, a vet, if a vet submits something to you, yeah. No, okay, so veterinary council doesn't really have anything to do with it at all. Um, you know, other than the fact that we obviously, from an ethical point of view, we put a hundred percent faith in our vets, um, and and believe that you know, if some black and white, and put their signature to it, that that is a hundred percent accurate, that they're not going to, nothing's going to be fraudulent. So veterinary council is not involved in that at all. Um, other than the regulation of the vets themselves, but certainly nothing from an insurance point of view. Okay. Um, Dawn, we spoke about it briefly beforehand. Um, I was interested about the differences between value cover of sport horses and race horses. Um, can we recap that quickly? I we, thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting. So, you know, and, and, and again, the difference between the two businesses that we run, well, it's both horses, it's racehorses and sport horses. So surely it must be pretty similar, but it is, it is literally, they are almost inverse of one another. It's exactly. Incredible. So, so sport horse, for example, so let's say I have dear, dear Pinky that I've bought at the Callahoe auction. Um, I'm going to keep him for 150 years and presumably he's going to, if I do an okay job with him, increase in value year on year. So, you know, if I look back to when we started uh, doing insurance for Callahoe, which was in our first year of business, I think 13 years ago, there are many of those horses that we insured on the first auction that are still on our books now. Um, so, and in fact, horses that insured with us right at the beginning days of CUDA that are also still insured with us. So that is sort of the way in which sport horse insurance goes, that 
unless there's a fallout, unless there's, you know, unhappiness with a product or with the service or with a claims experience or something, people tend to stick All with the horse goes to heaven. You know, sorry. All the horse All goes to heaven and they, they quit horses that. ever. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, so that. Um, they tend to stay, you know, they keep their horses insured for the full extent of their career. From a racing point of view, it's a little bit different. Um, huge numbers. I've just been at the National Yearling Sales in Joburg, and the numbers are there. It's eye-watering, you know, the, the figures. Um, the highest numbers that averages that we've seen, I think, ever over the last, I don't even know how many years, 15 years that they had stats for. Um, so huge, huge values. You could be buying, and you're buying a yearling that has not done anything. His mom and dad have probably done something really clever, but he's done nothing. You could be paying anything, you know, upwards of 3 million Rand for it, 5 million Rand possibly. And, and one gets so blasé about the whole situation. You know, I, I found myself sitting there and saying, oh, that one was really cheap. He only went for 700. I'm like, well, what are you even saying? You know, that's like a horse that's done nothing. No. And he's walked around the ring a few times and you're like, oh, he was cheap. He was no. only 700. So, so to get back to to how you know that the whole sort of life cycle works of insurance differently in bloodstock, um, you tend to buy a horse at a often very high value, um, and it retains that value until such time as it goes to race, at which time its value could increase if it does really well. Oh gosh, this computer is deciding to run an update, which is not ideal. Um, <laughs> You know, if it has a really good racing career, the value increases. I mean, if I think of a horse like Comet de Dung, I think everybody's heard about him. Yes. He was a relatively cheap yearling, and he's he's now worth a small fortune as a breeding stallion. So, you know, but that's the the sort of really drop in the ocean of, of racehorses. Um, often what happens is they tend to be purchased for a huge price. They end up not, or not often, but sometimes they then have a... a a really dismal racing career and their values diminish from millions of rands to probably 20,000 rand, 30,000 rand being sold as a sport horse. So yeah, it's, you know, and, and along with that, the insurance sort of only lasts while the horse really has good value. Um, there are obviously a lot of cases where, where colts run, um, they're very successful and they then like Comet become breeding stallions and their values then escalate hugely and they're often syndicated and things like that. And in those cases, you know, the, the value or the horse remains insured until well into his latter years. But for the most part, racehorses, as soon as they finish their racing career, um, that's the end of their insurance. And the racing career is often a year, two years, three years. I speak under correction, but but that's that's my understanding of it. Um, out of interest with with uh, horses that are retained breeding, um, is loss of use extended to fertility yeah, is we have stallion infertility cover in fact we have it for sport horses as well um yeah. but you know there are not many stallions breeding stallions that are are really insured and it's not a product that that our sport horse clients seem to be uh, very interested in but yeah certainly um stallion infertility is is definitely something that's very it's it's insured for a lot I suppose also with, with warm bloods, we've got the option of AI and you can exactly. do a little bit with it, whereas with exactly. blood stock, you can't. You can't. It's, no. it's, it's, exactly. um, like, I'm just curious. I'm sure you don't want to answer it, but I know it, I have just know where this is going with you anyway. Is, is yes. This, but no, but like fraud, how do you guys, yeah. do you have to have yeah, I, thought we were, I thought we were going to go down the road of the stallion infertility. I'm very, very glad to hear that you're I, not. No, no, I've, I've, I, that, that was, that, that's, we'll leave that for an off-air discussion. Okay, cool. <laughs> fraud, give me an example. So I'm, I'm thinking about just how, how people might tinker with these numbers, you know, and to say, well, my, I bought a horse for a bargain for 50 grand, but I want to insure it for 500 grand. This is my justification. Yeah. I mean, you guys must have an entire department dedicated to having to explore these things. You know, the reality is that if you're insuring for 500,000, you're paying premiums on 500,000 rand. So, you know, that that's the fight of it. Mm. So, yeah. And then we do look into things. So if, you know, you bought the horse for 50, you've increased its value to 500. We look on SA show jumping, SA dressage and SA anything else, and it hasn't competed. And two months after upping its value, it, it mysteriously dies. You know, yeah. 
we do do autopsy. We insist on autopsy reports for for all horses that do die and have a mortality claim. So, you know, there is. There was. It, yeah. There was a horror. I mean, there's stories about not locally, but international. You know, stories about people taking horses out with terrors. You know, I know. claim mortality. I know. Okay. So we we'd like to think that our clients don't do that. Um, we're quite strict with our underwriting when we take clients on board in the first place, um, which is why we've, we make 100% certain that the people that, that work in the industries are very, very knowledgeable in those industries in terms of, you know, both the people that, that they're dealing with and the risk that we're underwriting, the horses that are out and about. Um, so for the most part, we, we do manage our risk largely from that point of view as well, initially before you're taking horses on board. Um, I have... An incredibly technical question. Okay. Do you need um, a pen and paper? If a horse has PPID, yeah. his blood test, the ACTH levels come back as normal and he no longer needs to be medicated, would this exclusion on a policy be lifted? Okay. So I would need to know why the exclusion is there in the first place. So okay. ex exclusions happen uh, in our instance. Um, in one of two ways. So if a horse joins with a condition okay. which has to be declared, it's condition. It's like exactly. then, that, okay. then that is listed as an exclusion. Some exclusions can be lifted you know, if, if it's proven later on that the condition no longer exists. Some okay. conditions are permanent conditions and can't be lifted. Um, okay. and, then, and then also condition, you know, exclusions are placed if a horse, for example, has had four colic surgeries in the space of one year, then we'll probably put exclusion, uh, colic exclusion on for a year. And when the horse has been free of colic for a certain period of time or for a year, more than likely, we'll lift that exclusion. So that's the, that's that's the an exclusion. Um, Dawn, when it comes to, um, I, I always want to explore this in the Austrian discussion. Um, because I, I feel like, you know, when a lot of horse teenagers are looking for a career option that, that can intersect having a little paying job that pays them to keep their pinkies, but um, is still involved in horses. Yeah. Often often we don't have that kind of guidance. So I'm really, I really love the idea of a career option. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I remember back when when we first started Cuda Sport Horse Insurance, literally I couldn't believe that this was a job. So I was getting to deal with horses every day. I had to go to the derby because you know I had those clients and I had to watch those beautiful horses jump on that course. I was like, this is my job. I used to dream about doing these things. Oh. So yeah, it's a wonderful place to be. You know, if you're interested in horses and whatever, the downside of that is the people that work with us agree it's a wonderful place to be so they generally don't leave so they're not very often positions and vacancies and whatever um you know we look for agents often around the country in terms of selling insurance mm -hmm. um, which is a really nice opportunity for somebody who doesn't have a full-time job and wants to earn a bit of sort of cash on the side if you if you're really well connected um we do internships um every year we take in a couple of interns Oh. Yeah, but but those are generally not on the equestrian side of the business so much. So we'll we'll have IT interns and marketing interns. Yes, you you know you're still dealing with with obviously the horsey products, um, but you're not necessarily a horsey person. So yeah, it's a wonderful place to be. Um, but what's the so you said kind of what the best part of it is? What's the worst part about? Oh goodness me! So yeah, I mean you can imagine the claims that we get. Any kinds of claims that we get. You know, and and horrific claims, and you know, clients sitting on the phone because oh, they've just right. lost their baby, and you know, it's you you can relate to that because you know how awful it must be. So that is the absolute worst worst part of this job, and and seeing what horses can do to themselves, it is it is quite remarkable. And as I say, the mortality rate should really be around about 95, 99% based on the things that they're capable of finding to do. You know, the, the best parts, I've got to say, when somebody has cover and 
they phone in a desperate situation. The horse is going onto the table, just then letting us there in front of the tears and they keep us dated. And the call is, you know, he's up, he's yep. eating. No, it is, I promise you, it, you know, foaling season, babies are born, they're not doing well, the bloodstock, you know, from the racehorse babies, they're going to hospital with mom and you see the photo of a little baby and he's really not looking great at all. And then he's sort of cantering around his paddock looking ready to win the July. So yeah, those are the heartwarming things, but but there definitely are extremes on both ends of the of the spectrum. I actually read interesting. I mean, I know that Euro Dressage has been paying particular attention to the mental health of equestrians for quite a while now. But, um, you know, it used to be dentists were at highest risk for suicide um, as a profession out of interest. Yeah. And it had something to do with the psychological aspect of looking into, into someone's shops. <laughs> exactly. But um, vets have overtaken them significantly. Really? And they say that the reason that people become vets is because they love animals. Yeah. And then you spend your entire career dealing with these kinds of issues. And that's it's, terrible. It's just the spare thought for our dear vets, I think, as well. As well as exactly. people like you who who like you have gotten involved for the for the joy of things, yeah. but often have to deal with really, really yeah. awful sides of it, unfortunately. No, exactly. And you know, you kind of you take on all these animals knowing that ultimately they're not gonna be with you forever. Um, but I guess the joy that they give while they're with us is is worth the anguish that happens at the end of the day. We're masochists and we are very exactly. And we're basically just stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's 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 the way I percent. Um so a few questions, Dawn. Someone's asked um why, and they've said it's pertinent to to arthritis. Okay. Why when a claim is made for a horse? Does it get excluded from the premium as opposed to having the premium just increased? Um, Any okay. enough information for you? So, okay. So again, um, if a horse is diagnosed with arthritis, and again, I can only speak from, from our point, if your horse has been blessed with years and it's diagnosed with arthritis, we're not going to exclude the arthritis. Um, yeah, that's, that's okay. the simple answer to that. Um, if the horse comes on board with arthritis, unfortunately, we won't cover it, no matter how much the premium increase is, because realistically, you know, if 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 your arthritis bill is going to be 10,000 rand a year, we know that it's going to be 10,000 rand a year. Because we know that it's going to happen, we then have to recover 10,000 rand a year to make it, you know, sort of logical and viable. Um what was I going to say? The other thing about that. So yeah, we we can't sort of be put. We are as an insurance company, we can't be put in a situation we where we are knowingly going to be paying claims for something that is a pre-existing condition, basically. Okay. Um, the best policy for non-competing or retired horses. You know, the best, and and again, the best is you know, the best depends on best. Everyone comprehensive medical cover with ability, personal accident, that's the best. Um, it depends what you want out of it. You know, do you want your day-to-day -day vet bills covered? Is your horse, and just because it's not competing, and even if it's not being ridden, doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to have injuries or illness or colic or stitches or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, the most economical and it's going to give cover in the case of extremes always critical care and you know i've said it 20 times in the last already every person that owns a horse needs to have critical care you just can't not have it it's just a yeah. you know it, it it's like yeah it's, it, it's the minimum so it really and truly it is and, and you know it's a heartwarming thing that i see often so i see clients that possibly are not really that financially well off that has horses, everything, you know, the horse is worth some money, not millions, but it's worth some money, but they can't afford to spend a huge amount of money on insurance. So the insurance that they take out for that horse is not mortality cover or anything else. They take out critical care. So that the one that benefits, should there be, you know, an incident is the horse. Yes. And that for me, is like a, it's, it's really heartwarming, I think. Mm. Yeah. So, so to answer the question, you know, if you're wanting to look out for 
something that's reasonably priced but is going to help you out in times of absolute emergencies, something that's life-saving, go with life-saving surgery and critical care. Otherwise, if you want some basic medical cover, then I would do something like medical saver with a small mortality value added to that as well. Um, a, a question which I think we kind of have answered is, will maintenance like Pentazan ever be covered? It, again, back to the principle of insurance, we're covering, you know, events that lead you to be in a worse or financial position than you were before. Maintenance treatment is, is not that, unfortunately. Um, Amy asks if her horse is comprehensively covered and suffered a career altering injury where a vet recommended PRP, would something like that be covered? Um, again, difficult to answer because, you know, you would have to look at the veterinary reports and yeah, it, 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 it's not just a yes or no answer. So okay. a lot of sort of background information, what does the vet say that the, the, the vet that's treating the horse, why is he recommending it, um, et cetera, et cetera. So again, not a, not a simple answer. Um, another question, which I think we have covered, Sandy, is, is loss of use a viable insurance and for what kind of horse? I think, um, I think yeah. you have on really when it comes specifically to breeding horses. And, um, no, 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 no. Loss of use is um, specifically just to sport horses. So in other words, if you, you know, if, if exactly, um, so loss of use is then probably a good idea, but but at a price. Yeah. yeah, so again, I suppose it depends. It depends if you want to put that money away into the kitty for when you need to replace the horse or not. Yeah, 100%. Um, a question about how much of colic operations is covered and how is this calculated? Medical aid rates with humans, consequently gap cover. Is there such a thing as gap cover for horses? Okay. And I assume you're talking about the disparity between sending your horse to like a state vet, like Honest Depot, yeah. as opposed to a private clinic. This is the $10 million billion question. And if we could answer the question and if we could get all our ducks in a row and get these things regulated then you know it would be a very happy place years ago again we tried to um, sort of categorize different medical treatments and the costs around all of those but then you start looking at things like what happens if it's a professor that's performed the surgery compared to if it's just a normal vet that's performed the surgery yeah. so uh, the answer is we offer a hundred thousand rand cover um up to eight days in hospital unless there's a really, really valid reason for the horse needing to have stayed longer, but not beyond 100,000 rand. Um, and it's not regulated. You know, we, we, we spoke to veterinary council also years ago to find out if we couldn't put together a sort of this type is nothing. I mean, there really is absolutely nothing. Yeah. So you'll go to some like orthopedic surgeons and they say they charge 300 exactly. percent of medical aid rates and you go, oh, OK, yeah. you know, I'll go somewhere else. Yeah. Okay, no, that's exactly. And I mean, it's, you know, it would be a wonderful exercise to do. And again, with our new tech savvy situation, it means that further down the line, we can start really looking at vet bills, you know, in, in a greater degree of detail and keeping record of this and then seeing, you know, that possibly we could start regulate what this kind of colic surgery would cost as opposed to that but right now it is the limit we look at the we look at what's been uh, whatever's been done how the treatment the medication etc and we pay within the limit krista asks um is public liability insurance for stallion owners not compulsory and shouldn't it be well, it probably should be, but compulsory by whom? I mean, who would who would be one that said it was compulsory? Mm. Yeah. So I think public liability is as cheap as chips. I think it's 30 rand a month and it gives okay. you about a million rand cover per event. Wow. Okay. So, you know, again, it's just one of those things like, why would you not have it? I mean, it's yeah. just, uh, but yeah, uh, certainly stallions and all horses, you know, they can all, they can all do stupid things. Mm. 
Um, so we had a, a big conversation around Sura a couple of weeks ago with um, talks of importing Dawn. And Stephen asks, is there any kind of cover for horses who test positive for Sura on arrival in South Africa? Historically, they've had to be euthanized or flown to a neighboring country. Yeah. Um, and, and strangely enough, I I have an email that I sent to Vian two weeks ago around this very subject saying, oh. is it worth a while? Looking at quarantine cover, not only for horses coming into the country, oh, that's interesting. But also horses that are, you know, moving out of the Western Cape and then not being able to move back in again mm -hmm. and having to quarantine out of, you know, out of province at, at reasonable, reasonably high costs um, that people haven't really budgeted for. So the answer right now is no. Um, and sadly, if the horse were to be euthanized, that wouldn't be covered either. Uh, because a section in the policy wording that says if a horse is euthanized because of government regulation or government instruction, something uh, along those lines, um, you know, it wouldn't be covered. So the answer also right has to cover horse owners, you know, not that we have this as an issue, but in the case, if it's government related, I imagine it would have to be a cover like for foot and mouth disease, where it's in the best interests of public health, which is yeah, essentially exactly. what Sura is, you know. So exactly. So so the answer is right now there's nothing, but it's certainly something that we, we are going to look at. And um, the last merciful question for you, Dawn, you've been so patient. Um, I think people are just cashing in on their, their free, um, this is like free broker advice. Go I've got a friend who always says, never tell anyone that you're a doctor. Because <laughs> like, oh, can you look at the lawyer? Yeah. yeah. Please get so, Jackie, so Jackie wants to know what is the cutoff age for cover? Um gosh, you're gonna catch me with my pants down. I think add I think. Add a horse with I think we can't add them. Oh maybe older than 16. Okay. But we'll carry on covering them until they're in their twenties, at least for critical care, up until 20, I think, for mortality. Jackie, can you drop me an email and I'll give you a proper answer, please? There's no standard in like like thing. I know with small animals, I tried to in, insure Hedgie's rotten old dog recently. No, they, they, they just laugh. They absolutely not. Yeah. No. So there is. I mean, I, I I'm under correction. I think we can add a horse from uh, up until sixteen, possibly older. Um for certainly life-saving surgery with critical care and i think we allow that to carry on until into their 20s mortality and no values we decrease as they from i think 16 years of age because they're deemed to be not as valuable um but again if there's a justification often saddle horses for example are really highly valuable as 18 20 year olds um for young kids um as competition so interesting okay yeah, it is. And, you know, every, you know, there are rules, but we look at everything on a case-by-case -case basis. And if there's reason for there to be an exception, then we really are happy to consider that. Um, is there... I believe the last question that you asked me is like a question well, I don't know the answer to. That's we just can, rude. We can end on a, on a slightly stronger note. I'm just curious if there isn't something um, like, should we be, should we check our policies annually, horse owners, like we do with like our car our policy or or things like that mm -hmm. are, are there things we should be checking in and you know con, like speaking to a broker and uh, like yeah. upping the premium dropping the premium things like that so so what we do what um specifically us is up until the age of 15 we add 20 percent onto the mortality value of the horse uh, on a yearly basis um generally there aren't standard annual increases like there are with normal short-term right. insurance so, you know, your rates don't increase. The only times they would increase is if you've had really bad claims experience and, you know, you've had a million claims, for example. Um, in terms of medical increases, we don't do increases until really inflation says that we have no choice, but there's no such thing as a standard annual increase or anything like that at this stage. Um, and the thing to check is just make sure, you know, we're not going to change anything other than, than um, upping the mortality value which you have a right to say don't waste the mortality of the source um but just check that cover and that you have what you think you have and no harm in just checking all of those things on an annual basis 
you're muted. Fantastic. Thanks. So I'm, I, I muted it because she's singing to the dog. Um, oh, let's hear it. Go on, let us. I've, I, I hissed at her under my I just told her to go away. So she's gone away. Yeah, no, her worst mother, worst mother ever. Um, Dawn, is there anything else you would like to add to that conversation before we go? Oh, Joy, no, just first of all, thanks very much for the opportunity. Um, oh. I hope that it's educated a few people and made them realize that every horse can be insured. Sport horses means everything other than resources, including mules, donkeys, and happy hacks and paddock ornaments. And you know, we're open to questions. And if anyone would like us to chat at a specific event or, you know, if if we're needed to do a presentation to a specific group of people to help raise awareness, to help educate, whatever, we're always happy to do that. And, you know, it, not because it's going to sell more insurance, but I think because it's going to improve the lives are, of our equestrian partners in the long run. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Dawn. We really appreciate that. If there's, if there's any more questions, we can always do a part two. 100%. Thanks, Thank Georgie. You. It's Thanks been great Georgie. chatting. Thanks okay. for Cheers, cheers. Bye. If you've been listening, that was the South African Equestrian Federation podcast on the reassurance of insurance. We were very fortunate to speak to our industry expert, Dawn Newman, about all of the questions that you had, all of the types of cover that are on offer, and how very deeply grateful your horse will be for you to choose one of them. We will be joined next week by the very lovely Emma Sadler. She is a social media lawyer and expert in her field. So please get ready. Start feeding comments and questions through us so that we can ask her about all the do's and don'ts of social media and equestrianism. My name is Georgie Roberts, and thank you for joining us this evening.